You're listening to the Douglas Jacoby Podcast. Here we bring you some of the material found on Douglas's website in podcast form. We hope that as you listen, you are challenged to think about faith. Today, Douglas continues his series on New Testament characters, now looking at the lives of Priscilla and Aquila. For more on this episode, follow the link in the show notes to Douglas's website. Now here's today's teaching. You're listening to New Testament Character Podcast 52 on the couple, Priscilla and Aquila. The Old Testament has plenty of named couples. I'm sure you can think of a few right off the top of your head. David, Bathsheba, Abraham, and Sarah. In the New Testament, there are very few. Of course, there's Joseph and Mary. And then you have John the Baptist's parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth. Then there are two other couples. Well, they might be couples, um, probably, but it's hard to to know that for sure. And that's Philemon and Aphia in Philemon verse 2 seem to be, they could well be husband and wife. And in Romans 16, there's Andronicus and Junia, who could well be husband and wife. They could be brother and sister for that matter. But there is a third explicitly named couple where husband and wife both are named, and that's Priscilla and Aquila. Aquila means eagle. What a cool name. There were seven well-known Aquilas in ancient time, including Aquila of the New Testament. He's always mentioned with his wife. And Priscilla means venerable. Prisca or Priscilla means venerable. There are two well-known Priscillas. Uh, One, if you ever study second century Christian history, you'll remember her name because of the horrible martyrdom. But then there's our Priscilla, the one from the book of Acts. We don't know how she died. Uh, Priscilla is what she's called in Acts 18. Prisca in the letters. She's called Prisca. Prisca is the actual name. Priscilla is the kind of the fond form. Uh, People call me well, my name is Douglas, uh, but they may call me Doug. So sometimes it, they shorten it. Robert may become a Bob, right? Uh, Margaret could become Peg. But in many languages, the more familiar form is longer. I think of Russian. I think of Greek here, um, Latin. So Prisca, Priscilla. Let's pick it up in Acts 18. That's the main chapter where we learn about them. We read that Paul left Athens, that's Acts 17, And he went to Corinth, and there he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus. Pontus is a a region of Turkey on the Black Sea. He had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them because he was a tent maker as they were, and he stayed with them and worked with them. If you're not familiar, Claudius is the Roman emperor. He's the Caesar. He's the Roman Emperor from 41 to 54. And this, uh, what we're reading here, this is taking place in the early 50s. The Jews had often been expelled from Rome. Uh, In so many ways, they didn't fit in and they were made fun of, sometimes mercilessly. This isn't Christian anti-Semitism, that ugly phenomenon of the Middle Ages all the way up to modern times. They were, I think, persecuted, the Jews, because they believed in only one God, which meant not only that they rejected the Roman or the Greek pantheon of gods, but they would not take part in idolatrous events. (laughs) That could be dinner parties. It could be serving in some government position. It could be uh, coming out and celebrating during the many holidays. And so the Jews were viewed as party poopers and maybe not pulling their weight, although I don't know that that's true at all. But there were numerous expulsions. So although... Claudius, um, yeah, expelled the Jews. He wasn't the first. He wouldn't be the last. 
So Aquila is from Pontus. Priscilla may be from there. We don't really know. But they're in Italy now. Oh, no, they've been expelled. They have to leave and they end up in Corinth. You know, being God's people doesn't necessarily make for an easy life. And it doesn't necessarily shield us from injustice. Aquila was Jewish. Now, I don't mean to be confusing, but remember, if you can, that Christianity was a sect of Judaism. It grew out of Judaism. It's the fulfillment of Judaism. And until later on in the first century, as often as not, the Christians were considered to be part of Judaism. The couple were involved in leatherwork, tent making. Wouldn't be only tents, but working with leather. Like, you know, Jesus was a builder, the Bible says. We, by tradition, we say carpenter, but I, it's unlikely he worked only with wood. He would have worked probably with stone and other mediums as well. So they're versatile, and they work with their hands, not just their mouth teaching, but they, they have a, a very productive um, alternative. Uh, if they need to raise money and not be dependent, like Paul, they've got it right there. And having something that brings an in income, uh, if you're a missionary, is smart. That's that's these guys. They're they're smart and they're like Paul, and they invite him. Looks like to stay with them. So there's the hospitality. Uh, let's advance briefly to Acts eighteen eighteen. Paul stayed out in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. So he's he's in Corinth. That's Greece. He's heading east to Syria. Overland would take forever. You go by boat. And Priscilla and Aquila go with him. But then we run into Priscilla and Aquila a few verses later back in Ephesus. Let's read Acts 18.24. A Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, that's Egypt, place, a place known for its eloquence, learning, thinking. Apollos came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, and when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. This is a very significant encounter. Apollos was on the right track, though uh, the text says that he was defective in his knowledge of baptism. He was somehow off base. He knew only the baptism of John. John's baptism didn't bring the Spirit, according to Mark 1, forgiveness of sins, yes, like Christian baptism. But Christian baptism, which makes people in Christ, confers the Holy Spirit. At least that's normative. Of course, you could argue that Apollos is giving strong evidence of the Spirit already in his life. Not just his knowledge. He's learned and he has a great knowledge of Scripture. But it's what he does with it. He's speaking boldly in the synagogue, publicly. I imagine privately he was no whip. He speaks with fervor. He's, he's on fire for God. He's teaching about Jesus accurately. Um, his knowledge is defective at that one point. And Priscilla and Aquila uh, draw him aside, invite him to their home. Again, hospitality, I suppose. And they explain to him the way of God more adequately because he's going to join them. And from now on, he needs to teach fully, not be off on something. Well, was Apollos baptized again? Don't know. Luke doesn't say. Yeah, but the Ephesian guys were baptized a few verses later. That's right. In Acts 19, 
on the other side of that invisible, actually non-existent barrier. There are no chapter numbers in the, in the original New Testament. Yeah, the Ephesian guys are baptized. Paul baptized them. But they don't even know about the Holy Spirit. And in my reading of, of Ephesians of uh, Acts 19, it seems that they didn't quite even understand John the Baptist's message. Whereas Apollo seems to have understood it perfectly. Well, maybe this is a contrast. Apollos wasn't baptized again. The other guys were baptized. Or maybe it's a comparison. Maybe they're both in the same boat. I don't think we can settle it one way or the other, though I, I, I'd be hesitant to be saying that Apollos was, was baptized after discussing things of Priscilla and Paul. It's going a little bit beyond what we can know for sure. Well, to teach someone like Apollos would take a certain kind of courage and strength. And to listen to a couple who may not have had the same education as he had may have required a lot of humility. Maybe Apollos made it easy for him. If he did, that's great, because sadly, I know some men who don't want to learn from a woman. They don't feel good about that. They would think, well, if maybe Priscilla was sharing, but Aquila would be doing the teaching. Or she would be behind a curtain in the other room whispering things, and because it would be wrong for her to... This can get kind of silly, I think. You know, Priscilla, it's been suggested, is the married counterpart to Phoebe. Phoebe was a high-powered woman, a, a patron, servant, minister, deacon, it says, of the church in Cancria. That's near Corinth. That's the seaport, one seaport of Corinth. And uh, Phoebe seems to have been single. Perhaps she was widowed. Perhaps she never married. But she's uh, someone who's well off. So if that's the case, then Phoebe is the single counterpart to Priscilla. Priscilla would be the married counterpart to Phoebe. One is single in ministry, the other is married. I like that thought. Wish I'd thought of it, but I didn't. Well, later on, we come across our couple in the letters. Paul writes 1 Corinthians from Corinth. We know that because he says so. I mean, you read 1 Corinthians 16. And he's sending greetings at the very end from the people who are in Ephesus and in that area, because he says the churches of Asia send their greetings. So that province of Asia would have included a number of other churches as well. Uh, you know some of their names from the book of Revelation, though I'm sure that others are simply not mentioned. We read, the churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Prisca, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. So that sounds good, doesn't it? They're well-connected. Uh, they they care. They're happy to send greetings to Corinth, just across the Aegean to the west. It says also they led a, a group together, a church in their home. It's great when couples can do things together. It's one thing my wife and I um, will enjoy. Always enjoy making that kind of an impact. As we're here back in Europe. So in Acts 19, Paul's in Ephesus. He's joined by Priscilla and Aquila. And in Romans 16, though, Priscilla and Aquila have returned to Rome. I guess the coast is clear from those who are considered to be you know, uncooperative uh, Jews. And we also know that uh, Claudius died in the year 54. 41 to 54 was his reign. So maybe, I'm just thinking out loud, maybe people had the courage to come back until the next expulsion. But at any rate, they're back in Rome. And we read in Romans 16.3, Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. Paul is greeting them and many other people. At the end of his great 
letter to the Romans. But he mentions them first. That's an honor. He continues, they risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentile give thanks as well. What do we see? We see Prisca and Aquila have courage. They have friends, grateful friends. They're appreciated by many, including Paul. They are persons of character. And there's one more mention, and it's in Paul's last letter. Chronologically, the last letter I think we have in the New Testament would be 2 Timothy. And at the very end, once again, they top the list. 2 Timothy 4.19, greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. 2 Timothy may have been written to Ephesus. 1 Timothy is written to Ephesus. We see that in chapter 1 of 1 Timothy. I'm not sure where 2 Timothy was sent, but it maybe our couple are back in Ephesus. All right, it's time to make some application. I've got a few thoughts for you. Wish we had more material on Prisco and Aquila, but we have more than we do on most biblical characters, so let's go for it. Their names often appear on lesson titles, on marriage uh, classes, or in discussions of couple ministry or husband and wife retreats. That's understandable. Their working relationship, I'm sure, was admirable. Second, Priscilla and Aquila are tent makers or leather workers. Very smart to be self-supporting. I think that's more the norm for Christian leaders historically than the clergy lady model, which today nearly every denomination has adopted. And I'm not saying that there wasn't a clergy in the Middle Ages, but in the vigorous, energetic days of Christianity, early Christianity, uh, most people, they weren't paid to do what they did. Uh, now, there is a need for money. If you're a missionary, you're going from one point to another to another. You need money for expense and room and board. And these things were often provided locally. But if not, they could fall back on their uh, profession because they were good at what they did. Like Paul, they were tent makers or leather workers. Paul mentions something in 1 Corinthians 9, 5, when he's talking about his rights. He says, do not do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord in Cephas? Uh, Kepa would be the word for Peter in Aramaic. Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Barnabas didn't take along his wife uh, if he was married. Ditto for Paul. Sometimes one spouse will be fully engaged in missionary work. Sometimes two, both of them. Or, in some cases, it's a hybrid situation. The Bible never defines ministry as full-time church work, nor does the Bible require those persons to be married or for their spouse to have the same ministry or to work alongside them. It's nice if it works that way, but not always does it work that way, and we should not make a law if we're going beyond Scripture. Priscilla teaches Apollos. Often I've heard it said that, well, this would have been forbidden in a public setting, but if they stepped aside and were discreet, then, then it's okay for Apollos to learn from her. That sounds fishy to me. How about you? Is it really necessary to stipulate all the things men and women may do and may not do? And I suggested Priscilla may be a married version of 
Phoebe. And if that's the case, she's highly honored. She's high up in the hierarchy that probably didn't exist, but in that network and rep of reputation and service, she and her husband, Aquila, were, were high up. And we can learn from one another. And I would challenge us to be humble, to learn from men and women alike. Last thought. Going it alone like Paul, though he often wasn't alone, choosing not to marry like Jesus or to serve in a special ministry in which your spouse doesn't take part, that's totally fine. But if you have the passion and the stamina to be a vocational missionary, hmm, Priscilla and Aquila may serve as the strong role models we need. We hope you enjoyed Douglas's teaching on New Testament characters. For additional notes and resources, be sure to check out Douglas's website in the show notes. The website has hundreds of articles, podcasts, and videos for you to access for free. You can also become a premium subscriber and gain access to thousands of online resources from Douglas's teaching ministry. Thanks again for listening.